Hello, everybody, and welcome to Industrial Automation. It doesn't have to. In case you're new to the program, I'm Brandon Ellis. I'm your host and also the owner of Elatech. As we jump into the episode for today, I want to ask that you hit that follow button and subscribe button based upon the platform that you're listening on. And if you're listening specifically on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and you enjoy what you hear today, leave us a five-star rating and review. We sure would appreciate it. Now that we've got the marketing out of the way, I just want to say thanks for tuning in. So let's get started. And hey, everybody, this is Brandon Ellis. Welcome to Industrial Automation Doesn't Have To, our fantastic, fabulous podcast. And with me is Miss Beth Elliott. Hey, Beth. Hey, Brandon. I'm glad you got that right this time. Yeah, Yeah. I've not gotten that right a couple of times, so for sure. I'm going to hold my paper up here so I can read it. I got new glasses. Oh, they looked very nice. Yeah, I'm sorry I didn't notice. It's progressive lenses, but I've been on progressives for years now, but... uh, when you change prescription, it just seems so difficult to get it right. Yeah. Oh, I know. And sometimes I feel like I'm the one that's being, you know, pesky. But well, uh, you're you're the one living in your eyes. I gotta find <laughs> it. Yeah. So, so I'm gonna have to hold my piece of paper right now. But anyway, welcome to Industrial Automation. It doesn't have to. Today we're talking about some practical automation alternatives that may not be obvious. Okay. So I'm glad everybody's joined us today. Uh, it's gonna be an interesting topic, uh, kind of sort of similar to some of the some of the. A few of the podcasts are in the same guild, if you will, of the podcasts, some two or three podcasts we've done in the past, but just uh, different automation alternatives that may not be obvious. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, but first, what's been going on, Beth? Well, I'm looking forward to the PLC course that's coming up. I'm so excited about that PLC yeah. course. I've been, if, you, if, if you're connected to me or follow me on LinkedIn, Brandon... What is my LinkedIn? I don't know. Brandon Ellis. Brandon Ellis, at Brandon Ellis. Um, Feel free to send me a connect uh, if you'd like to connect, uh, an invite, invitation. Um, But uh, that PLC PLC course, the curriculum, was authored by moi. (laughs) It looks very good. Yeah. And so so I've been working on this for a while. I'm pretty excited about it because – we, you know, we don't often get into. Uh, we talk about industrial automation, and I mentioned ladder logic, and I've talked about ladder logic before. That's what you program. It's a symbolic programming code uh, for ninety nine percent of all of the uh, automation equipment on the earth uh, uses a PLC, a programmable logic controller. But most people that offer classes, usually it's the manufacturers, uh, jump you straight into welcome to PLC programming. And a lot of people begin lost. Well, you got to have a basics. You, you got to have the foundation, right? You got to kind of intro into that. And so we go into how did ladder logic come to be, and how what it was originally based upon. And the answer is schematics. And so that's what we utilize in this curriculum. So it's a lot, a lot of hands on. Uh, it's not a lot of popping keys on the keyboard uh, until we get to the end. Okay. But it's a it's a day long training, and we're kicking kicking up our first class uh, in June, and then classes will start uh, I guess once a month, uh, and they'll be added to the training calendar. Exactly. And so, if you're interested in learning more, you can go to elatech.com slash technical hyphen training, and the courses will be there. As hyphen well as- technical hyphen training. That's the same as technical dash training. Oh, my apologies. <laughs> So, all right. So let's uh, let's keep rolling. Okay. Yes. So the other thing is, of course, that 
Welcome to summertime, everybody. If you're in the southeastern United States, or even I was talking to somebody in Michigan, yeah, and they said it's summertime here as well. Uh, so we've had apparently we've gone from a we had a week of spring. Oh, it was longer than that. <laughs> was it? Yes. I don't remember. It seemed like it went away fast. Um, but now we're we're starting to get into the the balmy days of summer mm-hmm. here in the good old southeastern U.S where humidity is king. Mm-hmm. And so um, it'll be good. But, uh, you know, just a few months ago, we were freezing and wishing for warm <laughs> weather. And and I think I said it then, you know, here in just a couple of months, we'll be wishing for cooler weather and wishing for the fall. So, uh, you know, can't, can't have one without the other. No, no. And you got to enjoy it while you can. So let's get on to our topic. Yes. The title, please. Oh, uh, 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 what's the title? Which one? <laughs> and the today's title is nope. industrial. Okay, we'll yeah, well, that's that. applause. Okay, so <laughs> industrial automation. It doesn't have to be obvious. All right, well, that works. <laughs> so it's been a while. It's been a minute since I've done my sound effects, and we changed. I changed them up last time. And we and still now, haven't labeled. Them. I still haven't labeled them. Uh, so, so it makes it for a fun guess. So yes, industrial automation doesn't have to be obvious. And so I mentioned that we were going to be talking about some practical automation alternatives that aren't necessarily obvious. But before we get into that, mm-hmm. I think we need to address some things that are going on in the world today. Again. <laughs> uh, just to <laughs> just to highlight just a little bit just cuz we're we don't have our heads in the sand warning there are no differences <laughs> but let's re- let's review them uh, because unfortunately there's not very well, many differences this is why we have to do why it's not obvious because yeah because and I'll tell you why and, and of course I get to look ahead guys cuz I see the outline and the research that Beth has done but a lot of people say why still are asking why why are we having such long lead times? Why are, you know, really, you, you mentioned, Brandon, in your podcast about uh, why are sim, where is there a semiconductor shortage? And we were talking more about why it takes so long to replace or replenish those semiconductors because you have to grow a semiconductor. It's a crystal. It has to grow its crystalline structure. And so that takes time. Just so you know, anywhere between one week to three months, according to the type of crystalline structure and, and substrate that you're growing. So it's it's not a let's ramp up production kind of situation because you just can only do that by creating more molten crystal bath machines to draw these things out. So it's not an easy thing to just make more because everything grows at a rate. Mm-hmm. But they've asked, okay, still... But why, but why, but why? Why are we hearing all this stuff? Why are we seeing the price increases, uh, you know, across the board? Some of that's fuel costs. Why are we seeing the inflation and that kind of thing? And so that's that's where we can start is some of the whys to that. Okay. So your research takes us to some of that. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, we did uh, talk about the semiconductor. Uh, but the war in Ukraine. So Ukraine is a leading supplier of neon gas. And neon gas is used in semiconductor production. Bing, ding, ding. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> and a major manufacturer of copper wiring harnesses used in vehicles. Okay, so one of the big uh, shortages, and I don't remember which podcast it was, but uh, we talked a bit about a resin shortage. Resin equals plastics. 
And that's why we were thinking, and we are we are in the throes of a plastics shortage. But that's also because, and I don't think you have that in your notes, but China has been undergoing lockdowns for the past month and a half, and a lot of plastic parts come from, we, we source those, the world sources those from China. And so you remember in 2020, March 2020, here in the good old U.S. Good old US of A, uh, we were all for the most part, locked down. And so production of a lot of things just ceased for that month. If you're not sure what that looks like, go to the Dow Jones National Average and scroll back to March 2020 and you'll see a big stop. (laughs) Everything just stopped during that month. And so um, it's because nobody's producing. Well, that's where China has been for the last month and a half. And and so they're not producing those things. But to your point about the uh, the copper wiring harnesses and the neon gas for those kind of wiring harnesses, cables, cables of different types are are now a big pain point for shortages. So we're able to deliver servo motors, drives, amplifiers for the most part. Uh, although we have to, you know, we have to look for that. Uh, sometimes we have to make substitutions and things of that nature, but it's the cables, the encoder cables and the power cables that are suddenly, and even sensor cables uh, outside of motion where we're using sensors, those are the shortages we're starting to see now. And so people say, why? Well, the war in Ukraine does have a a bit, a role to play in that because of the sanctions that are keeping a lot of people from purchasing things or they're opting, you know, if they're, a cool company whatsoever, they're going to opt to not do business with Russia during this time, just as a, as, a, as a, you know, kind of making a statement. But for whatever reason, either through sanctions or because they just don't want to, uh, you got to have neon gas and oh, Russia. Wait. They Russia produces 40% of the world's Palladium, is that correct? That's right. And it's a metal used in catalytic converters and semiconductor production. And so we rely upon both the Ukraine and Russia for some key things that come into play for semiconductors and for cable sets. And so there's two whys, W-H-Y, why, why does the the war affect? Why is you know people are saying they're blaming this on the war? Is that real? Yes, it's real because we we do rely upon those two countries. Uh, it's a big export. I mean, forty percent of the world's palladium, and palladium is a is a key ingredient to semiconductor production. Neon gas is a key ingredient to making cable sets and the insulation and things of that nature. And so, yes, it. We are being affected, not just the U.S., but the whole globe is being affected by the war in Ukraine. Yeah, and Ford and GM have announced uh, some production halts. What have you heard about other companies like Toyota? Toyota, actually, um, as of the date of this recording, has begun uh, actually doing strategic uh, production line shutdowns. And so they're kind of, a, uh, best I can tell, a rolling shutdown. Oh. I read an article about this. So that began soon after the Memorial Day holiday okay. and, uh, and continues to go. So they're, And that's because they can't get parts. They have not got the raw materials. Yeah. And so they're having to be very careful in doing it. It's kind of doing a dance uh, because they don't want to send everybody home at once because – they got to keep making production, but also they do not want to lose their labor. Yeah, because 
I mean, that's that would be scary in, in itself to be able to try to have to replace all the people that if they were laid off to replace them all when there's labor shortages to begin with. Right. And and so the whole planet is having to do a dance. Mm-hmm. Everybody at every level, every almost every link in the supply chain chain is having to do a dance because, you know, we talked about in previous podcasts, we're dealing, if we're dealing with just one thing, then there's an economic playbook move for that, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just... When you, you know, to use a football analogy, I know you're a football gal. You know, if your pass game's not working and your run game's not working, well, you got to rely on your punters and your defense. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it makes for a hard net. You know, the punt game, the the special teams better be solid and the defense better be holding the line. I mean, because otherwise, go home, I guess. Uh, Mercy rule. I don't know, because it's not going to be a good day. Well, our industry is dealing with more than just one thing. We've got the We've got price increases and, and record inf- you know record inflation here in the U.S. So economic playbook will lay some people off. We don't have the people to lay off because we're also dealing with a labor shortage. So you can't do that. Well, we'll automate. Well, it's a raw material situation. So even if we spend the money on on automating the ROI on the, that automation now, you know, skims off into the universe because. If you don't have raw materials, robots can't make raw materials either. So whether it's people or whether it's robots, if you're lacking the raw materials, you're still not running. Mm-hmm. And yes, it's true that a robot doesn't eat as much as a person. You don't have to deal with benefits and things of that nature. But still, a robot sitting still is not not capitalizing on a return on investment. Mm-hmm. And so the return on investment begins to skew because we spent this money, but we're still not running. Mm-hmm. It's like buying a piece of equipment, and then then and then it just sets in the corner. And off. You, yeah, yeah, you might use it once a month or something. <laughs> yeah, it just doesn't make it, the ROI begins to fall down. Yeah, and so um, so these issues aren't going away anytime soon. Hopefully, sooner than later. Well, there were some predictions last year that we were hoping. By this time this year. Yeah, mid mid 2022, which is, hey, welcome to mid 2022, mm-hmm. or by the end of 2022. Now, there are some that are still holding out hope that we will begin to see a, a recovery, a start of a recovery, a beginning of something that looks like and kind of smells like something that we remember to be a recovery. Okay. Uh, I don't think it's going to be a sharp recovery, but there's a, there are those that say... Because that's the other thing that happens. If we're talking about recovery in Q4, what else happens in the United States and most of the planet in Q4? holiday. It's holiday season. National goof-off months, as I've always called them. So November, December in the U.S. because we have Thanksgiving followed up by Christmas and New Year's Eve. So all these major holidays. And it's also the end of the calendar year, which means... You better use your vacation up because you might lose it. So everybody's trying to use their vacations and trying to do that kind of stuff. And manufacturers are absolutely going to have to give people their vacations or guess what? They'll quit. You know it. And we got this labor shortage. So see, there's all this stuff going on. We're having to do this dance. It's a balancing act, isn't it? So I feel like that while there may be a a, a supply recovery, we're not really going to feel that until probably Q1 of 2023. So January, February, March of 2023 could be interesting if stuff's starting to come back. Now, the question is, who comes back first? Yeah. And that 
is a whole nother podcast. <laughs> yeah, it would be. But, uh, and, and it's totally crystal ball at this point. <laughs> yeah. uh, because even with a lot of companies with a lot of, I've heard of a lot of companies with a lot of great and solid strategies, but, you know, again, strategies, just like ROI on an automated work sale is still tied to certain things, certain, certain variables and raw materials is certainly one of those. Mm-hmm. So if you can't get the parts, if you can't get the stuff to make the stuff that you make, then you're out of luck. And so that's where everybody's kind of scratching their head. Yeah. So what are some practical automation alternatives that you've... Okay, so the title, uh, or what I said was practical automation alternatives that may not be obvious. Mm-hmm. And so, so, so what do I mean by that? So an obvious thing is, and we're, we've been seeing this for months, I can't get that sensor. I, I have a... I have a specification in the plant for a specific brand, name brand of sensor, this part number, that kind of thing. And you can't get it. It's long lead time or something's going on. It's got a chip in it. We can't get it. So sensor, servo drive, you know, motion control type system, PLC, HMI, all those kind of things, robots, those kind of stuff. So you have a this thing, this this deal. So let's just use a sensor as an example. So I have this sensor. I can't get that brand, that part number of sensor. So the first thing, the most obvious thing is, okay, within that manufacturer, what other sensors do you have that are similar to this sensor from the same manufacturer? And what people are finding is, nope, it's all of the sensors. There's no equivalent within this manufacturing brand. And so the next most obvious step is, okay, let's look at different manufacturers for that sensor. Uh And so suddenly you start reaching out to these these other manufacturers. And honestly, that's where we are right now. Companies are just like, what do you have? Mm -hmm. What can you get for me? And so uh, we, even here at Elitech, have been spending (laughs) really the last six months, I, I joke with folks and say, you know, for the last six to eight months, We've been more, our salespeople have been acting more as grief counselors than salespeople yeah. because, because they just, they're just, they just can't make it happen. They just can't produce one. And so it's more like, you know, I, I know you've been waiting. I know you need this. I know you're down. Can I get you a cup of coffee? <laughs> you know, maybe a, you know, maybe a, a Starbucks, you know, something, something, Venti Lotto, something. Um, Lotto. <laughs> You can tell I'm a coffee drinker. <laughs> I am not a coffee drinker, by the way. And so, um, but we're just we're just kind of trying to. Uh, we understand at the same time we're getting the we're having to be uh, you know counseled by our vendors and our suppliers because they're having to do the same thing, and so it's a shared kind of deal. We we all are going to have to have pain, isn't it? We're going to have to have a global semiconductor shortage supply chain crisis support group. <laughs> That's a long title, but we could make up yeah. an acronym. It's going to be some kind of an acronym. You, can, it'll, you got enough letters, you can spell something. But uh, yeah, it's it's just really been, and I'm, I'm of course, you know, being humorous here, but it, it's really a big problem. And so the most obvious things are just, okay, what do you have? Just mm-hmm. change manufacturer, but give me the same thing. And so what, if, if that's not working, because guys, it's not. Everybody is out. Everybody's out of whatever you need, probably. <laughs> now, sometimes we can find stuff, and we even have been dealing with, you know, we are still jumping through hoops with some of the lines that we have, especially servo motors, drives, linear motors, things of that nature, uh, where we're finding things for people, finding ways to substitute. But some of the interesting stuff that I've seen is when you do the most non obvious thing. So, f- as an example, 
instead of so we had a we had a situation where the customer had a system where the whole design was was based around a what's called a three axis pick and place okay. system, and so that's just an, an X, a Y, and a Z. So we call that a Cartesian robot, but X, Y, and Z, and and the Z has something on the end, a gripper, a, a suction cup, something, and they're moving parts mm-hmm. with it. Well, the motors and drives, servos, all that kind of stuff. We we can't get even going outside of the manufacturers, the, the PLCs that we need to control that and all that kind of stuff can't get. Mm. You know the HMIs that we need can't we can't get them. No matter whose brand we're looking at. Yeah. And so so you finally reach a point of really desperation just to say you know what do we got to do here? Just give up. We really need this. We need to automate this process. And so so if you're just giving up. You're kind of giving up because you're sticking with the most obvious alternative. Mm-hmm. So what did we end up doing there? Well, we came in, our engineers talked to them and said, and our salespeople were spot on. They were, you know, checking out what's going on. And they said, you know what? For about the same amount of money, we can put one of our Hanwha three axis, three kilogram, I'm not sorry, six axis, but three kilo, three kilogram collaborative robots in place of that pick and place. Oh, okay. Because it wasn't a high speed pick and place. And we were guarding it because it was going to be guarded anyway, mm-hmm. uh, or the user was going to guard it. Uh, and so we can, you know, again with Hanwha, what we like about it is we can not completely disable, but mostly disable, increase the torques and the, the forces and the speeds and everything like that. And we can get better speeds out of a collaborative robot, which means we still have direct teach, but it begins to start becoming more of an industrial robot, not a collaborative from a safety standpoint. Again, it's guarded, so mm-hmm. that's fine, but we have those in stock. And so suddenly for about the same price point, Usually, when we're when we're talking uh, Cartesian systems, just as a budgetary to you know to cover the the controller, the motor, the drive, the cables, and the actuator, uh, usually you're probably to be safe six thousand dollars per axis. So a three axis system is about eighteen thousand dollars. And then if you have you know the setups with the transition plates, all the mechanical stuff to put it all together, and mounting stuff, and then of course you know the wire management and all that kind of stuff, you get up around twenty twenty five thousand. And that's a budgetary number, okay? And that's pretty much a universal thing. Uh, that's just a way that I always calculate stuff. Now, <laughs> today, with surcharges and stuff oh, like that, that number is probably a little bit further north. But uh, but on uh, on average, twenty probably twenty to 25000 is what we're looking like. Well, the 3-axis Hanwha robot is right in that price point. Oh, wow. It has the controller already. It can stand alone. We don't have to have the PLC for it to work. It's got its own controller. We don't have to have the HMI. We can use the teach pendant, you know, stuff like that. Okay. And so now all of a sudden we're considering something and they're like, hey, let's move forward with this. But if we'd stayed with the obvious, which is replace a motor with a motor, you know, even if you you think you're thinking outside of the box to say, we're going to go from one manufacturer to a different manufacturer, but it's still a motor and it's still going to be in a Cartesian system. The most non-obvious thing is to start thinking, well, let's get out of the Cartesian robots and start looking at an articulated arm robot. So what were, are there benefits of putting uh, a Hanwha on there rather than a Cartesian? Well, I mean, I think so. I mean, of course, the direct teaching stuff that comes with the collaborative makes it easier to program. But also, the fact is the uh, system that was picking up parts uh-huh. was placing it into another nest that then had to have some – it was pneumatic when, when electric was going to have to do some rotations to orient the part and and apply it to 
for marking and and so there was a uh, I think a spray uh, printer I think it's a printer uh, no it was running a printer it was putting a mark a paint mark on it okay and so they uh, were going to have to orient the part and all this kind of stuff so you had more complexity for mechanical systems you stick a articulating arm robot in there it comes down picks up the part it can rotate in oh, six yeah. degrees of freedom and so it just brings it over presents it does the paint mark goes over presents it to the vision system, all this kind of stuff. So so now all of a sudden, it really simplified the design of the entire system. It's just that we've always used a Cartesian system here. Yeah, yeah. We've got to get away from that. We've always done it well, this way. But it makes – I mean, so, so let's go pre-COVID. Stick with the Cartesian system. It's always there. It's always work. It's proven. It, if it's not broken, don't fix it. Yeah. Fast forward to 2022, when we're in a supply chain shortage, we're in a part shortage, we're, we're, we're dealing with all this stuff. What do you got? What can you get me? Well, you got to start thinking outside of the box, not just what manufacturer do you sell and do, do they have inventory of this same thing that I need, but more so, let's look at it from a 30,000-foot view and an engineering standpoint. Push your engineers to start thinking outside of the box. You have to. And unfortunately... For all people, not just us engineers, it's difficult to think outside of the box. You always need to gain a new perspective. Mm -hmm. And sometimes podcasts like Industrial Automation, it doesn't have to, provide those new perspectives. But in our case, someone we were sitting in a room kind of saying, well, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And somebody's like, I guess we give up. And somebody said, what if we use a robot? (laughs) Ding, all of the wheels start turning, <laughs> yeah. and you start seeing benefits suddenly, and we kind of go from there. And the primary benefit is it's in stock. And yeah. so, you know, we have them in stock here at Elotech, but we can also get them in two to three weeks from, from Hanwha. And so they're managing everything on their side perfectly, and that we've said that before. Well, they have a new uh, cobot, don't they, Hanwha? They've got a new model that they've rolled out. Yeah. It's a 14-kilogram model, and it looks pretty slick. It does, yeah. Um, and... uh uh, it's it's actually got some uh, it it natively supports uh, Profinet, which is which is a European field bus. If you don't know about field bus technology, scroll back a few episodes. I'll put a link in that uh, show notes. <laughs> there you go. Um, but that makes it you know Profi, Profinet. Profinet was is a field bus that was invented or created by Siemens. Ethernet IP is a field bus that was created by uh, Rockwell Automation or Alan Bradley. Same same deal. And then uh, those are probably – and then, of course, there's EtherCat, which is a, an Ethernet-based field bus that was created by Beck, Beckhoff, I believe, is credited with that. And so everybody has their own flavors. With this new Hanwha, it's got Profinet on board. And so that Siemens is, of course, the the global number one of all PLCs uh, in the globe. And that's just – sorry, Alan Bradley. That's just a fact. <laughs> in the U.S., Siemens is a number two. Uh, Alan Bradley is, or Rockwell Automation is number one as far as market share and PLCs specifically. So everybody kind of, so in, in the United States, Ethernet IP is probably more common uh, than Profinet and EtherCAT, but they're coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as as we in the U.S. become more and more uh, privy to to um, the advantages of, of of other fill bus protocols, uh, you know Siemens is a number, a solid number two. Uh, and then, of course, you go everybody else. But um, if you look at it from a global standpoint, Siemens is absolutely uh, the big kahuna. Um, 
Now, if you're in Asia, it's not Siemens. <laughs> it's not Alan Bradley. It's going to be, I don't know, Omron, Mitsubishi, one of those two probably are fighting for number one in Asia. Uh, but uh, So it does come down to where you're coming. But on average, across the globe, uh, Siemens is number one. And so I think that's why Hanwha picked the to pump. natively uh, support Profinet. Now, they can support other ones, but that's the one it comes with. Okay. I believe. And, of course, it's a brand-new model, so I'm still learning, too. Yes. Uh, it's not been officially released in the U.S. yet, uh, but they've rolled it out in some shows over in Europe and also in, in uh, Asia. It looks sweet. It does. It does. <laughs> so it's a higher payload and longer reach, and, uh, and of course, it's built industrially. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so we're talking about the non-obvious. And so, so substituting, as an example, a Hanwha robot, a Carlabra robot, uh, for a pick and place is an example of how we at Elitech actually did do that. And it's not the most obvious choice to replace a Cartesian with a robot. Mm-hmm. Do you have uh, any other examples? Well, the, so the other thing that I've seen is, and this is kind of a two part deal. So if you're, <clears throat> if you're C level production manager, business unit manager, or plant president, you're looking for cost savings. You always are looking for cost savings. If you're not looking for cost savings, you need to, need to. Find a different job. Uh, Cost savings is what we want. Always, 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 we want to try to save cost, and so, and that's just the the nature of production, any manufacturing, and so one of the ways to decrease cost that's always been around is uh, to reduce your spare parts inventory. And so a lot of people are choosing for a couple of reasons. Okay, Uh, they're saying, okay, uh, we can't get. You can't get the motor because it's a long lead time. So we're going to pull one out of our spare parts inventory and use it on this new project or, or send it to the to the machine builder, the inter- systems integrator, whatever, this component to use out of our spare parts inventory. Makes perfect sense. Been doing that since time began probably. Uh-huh. And so it's not a big deal. But right now, yeah. it can be a big deal. So it was a dual benefit before. We have two of these motors and spare parts. Uh, we don't think we need two of these motors, so we're going to yank one of them and send them to the machine builder and gets them going mm-hmm. because it's a long lead item, and it reduces our spare parts inventory by 50%. Hooray. We just saved money and saved time. That's always a win. However, if that component has a 30-week, 40-week oh, 50, remember there's 52 weeks in a year, folks, if you need help with the conversion. But there's a plenty of people out there giving 52-week lead times right now. Wow. And some more. Be careful because what you're giving away to save time and also is saving, you know, perceived spare parts cost, you may be giving away solid gold. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, you know, you have to do a risk analysis there, just like anything else. If you, we've had two of these things in in our spare parts inventory for ten years, and we've never had the process go down, probably safe. But if you have two in there, and you have two or three of these machines or more, what are the chances that two of them may need motors at the same time? Because if you do, and you've already spent one of the motors, and and now you use up the other one, and one more dies, the downtime of, again, even 30 days of downtime, but 30, 60, 90 days, then we start jumping what up about into a year? Yeah, months and in and, and a year. I don't know how you ever make back that cost. And so... Uh, just just as a, a word to the wise, your spare parts inventory is highly valuable now. I mean, 
Guys, if anybody, has, unless you've been sleeping under a rock, used cars are extremely valuable. Your spare parts inventory with automation equipment right now, especially anything with a semiconductor in it, with a chip, is worth a lot. Mm -hmm. And so be careful about going ahead and depleting your spare parts inventory uh, without without really thinking about it. Because remember, um, now, you, you know, there I've talked to a few uh, spare parts managers that are saying, yeah, well, we've got to, as soon as I pull one out, it kicks the reorder point. And so we start that waiting game at that point. We are taking a little bit of a chance, but we've looked it over and it, we don't perceive it to be a huge chance. If it's replaced in the next six months, you know, three months, whatever, we feel like we can deal with that. Perfect. You've done your homework. You've done your analysis, yeah. but don't just Yank it out and be kind of short-sighted to say the goal is to get the machine builder or, or get the equipment, you know, the new piece of equipment going without doing that risk analysis. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, unfortunately, you may have to anyway, even if it's risky. Sometimes you got to take a risk. Yeah. But, but just remember, parts, automation products are worth a lot right now, a lot more than they normally would be, and it's certainly a lot more than the price tag because the cost – you know, might not be immediately obvious. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's the other thing. You just cannot, and unless you have it in, in your hand, what is it? A bird in the hand's worth more than two in the bush? Yes. Yeah, so unless you know somebody says, I have this part, I have this inventory that I can sell to you and provide to you, if it's an estimated ship date right now, things are so crazy, oh. it's estimated. And, mm. and while our vendors and other vendors are doing the absolute best that they can do, mm -hmm. sometimes they miss it. Yeah, I mean, stuff happens. <laughs> and a lot of stuff is happening, <laughs> let me tell you. So, so that's, that's kind of the thing. So the two things I wanted to share is the non-obvious thing of don't just substitute part for part. Even if you're being a little bit, you know, thinking outside the box to say, I'm going to do this part for this manufacturer and swap it for a different manufacturer for the same type of part. It may work, but it may not. Well, didn't you, is there, when they switch to a different manufacturer, do you have to have to supply that as additional spare part? spare part as well? Or it, Sometimes you do. Yeah, I mean, it's according to what you're talking about. If we're talking about a photo prox, probably not. An inductive proximity sensor, something like that, probably not. But if you're talking about servo motors and drives and VFDs and HMIs, yeah, you probably do. In fact, you're going to have to start looking at software yeah, and all that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, like training. And training. Yeah, yeah. So it's not a – it's not an easy thing to – I mean, it's – even though it might be obvious, it's out of necessity. It has to be out of necessity yeah. to change a standard. And there's got to be a huge ne necessity. And maybe that necessity is there's benefits to this we couldn't see in the past. I mean, that's traditional reasons why companies change specifications, whether there's support that they didn't have with the other company or there's uh, a, uh, you know some kind of function or capability that they were missing, but they can get it if they switch to this. Yeah. And so now you begin to digest all the things. The, the trainings, the software, the spare parts inventory, that all comes into play. It's actually part of an ROI. It should be part of an ROI calculation. Yeah. But in today's time, it's just the necessity is I've got to get this to work. Yeah. We've got to do this process. We've got to make this process work in a certain way. And that comes down to why are you automating? Oh, the four reasons, uh, Brandon's brandology for the four That's reasons right. to automate. Brandology. 
Yes. Oh, am I supposed to tell him? Oh, you want me to tell him? Yeah, because I can't see him. <laughs> wait, I'm no, looking wait, at wait, wait, wait. Wait, I'll try to remember. Okay. Well, okay, yeah. okay. Quality, consistency. Yes. Uh, reclassification of labor. Yep. Um, increase production. Yep. Decrease downtime. Decrease cycle time. Oh, okay. Um, and one more. Talk on it. Yeah, you won't get this one. It's always the one I forget. Oh, flexibility quit setup. I'll give you credit. All right, so I cheated. <laughs> flexibility quick setup is the other one. So quality consistency. So you're doing something that a robot can do more consistently or with more quality. Decrease in cycle time or increase in production so you get more parts through for various reasons. Reclassification of labor, meaning we just don't have the people. Nowadays, That's we don't have the people to do it. Uh, or flexibility quick setup, meaning that if we automate the thing, we, it can switch between this making this part to that part to this part quicker than uh, having to change out stuff that, you know, fixturing and things that, that human beings would require for the quality consistency. <laughs> and so those are really the four reasons to automate. But despite that, if you can't get the stuff Oh, those don't matter. I mean, those That's are great true. goals to have. They are. But if you can't get the stuff to, to automate with, then you're in trouble. So so be careful about the, the spare parts inventory. Hang on to it. Uh, manage it well. Mm-hmm. And Do your uh, risk analysis? Or do, yeah. do you do a risk assessment or analysis? Is there a different um, Probably. <laughs> okay. According to, <laughs> according to how smart you are, I guess. Um, uh, but, but just calculate the risk. And then uh, start thinking about even uh, you know a different perspective of even more outside of the box than the obvious thing of replacing a motor for a motor, a sensor for a sensor, and things of that nature. Yep, sounds good. So that's our advice for today. So hopefully that perspective gets the wheels turning, and uh, that'll help some yeah. folks. I hope so. So thank you, Beth. Well, Brandon, you you always bring a brand new perspective, brand <laughs> a brand perspective, <laughs> brand perspective. Uh, yeah, it's that one. Brandspective. <laughs> Thank you for all the research. Oh, my pleasure. I get so, to learn something new. In industrial automation, it doesn't have to be obvious. Yes. Guys, have a great couple of weeks, and we'll see you again in a month, I guess. Sounds good. See you guys. Thank you. See ya. Thanks, Beth. Thank you, Brandon. Hey, guys. Thanks for checking out today's episode of Industrial Automation. It doesn't have to. I hope you enjoyed it. If so, make sure you give us a rating that's pretty doggone high and do that everywhere you listen, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts. We'd really appreciate it. Also, don't forget about our website. That's www.elitech.com. That's E-L-L-I-T-E-K.com. If you want to reach out to us there, you can fill out our contact form. We'd appreciate it. Also, you can email us at info at And certainly for those of you that still like to dial the phone, give us a call, 865-409-1555. We'd love to hear from you. 